On this episode of the This Is Believe One podcast, I am again joined by Jordan Cohen, and this time, we're not talking football, we are talking Premier League soccer. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, you know, we're usually talking, you know, about the Browns, the NFL, but we're talking about Premier League soccer today. Uh, we're, we're both, you know, big Premier League fans, and uh, it's something we've talked about before and previously, but I figured, you know what, the season just ended, you know, it's a nice thing to kind of reflect upon this interesting and, you know, monumental season. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, this was a, honestly, it was a great season kind of from start to finish. I, I think while Liverpool dominated the league on points, I think that the separation between them and a lot of these other teams was not as great as the point differential. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I think you just had teams like Man City that, in all honesty, were probably almost as talented if not more so than Liverpool that just lost matches close they like couldn't figure out how to win these matches or they would draw I guess mm-hmm. more than lose and that just let Liverpool make take this huge lead but by the end of the season I mean like I, Manchester United looked just as good as Liverpool uh, Chelsea was looking close in a lot of matches they just needed to be more consistent and Man City looked like the best team in the world outside of one match against Chelsea Mm-hmm. So, it's. T- I'm excited, man. I'm excited for uh, one month from now when the new season begins. <laughs> I'm excited for it, too. And, you know, uh, definitely want to say uh, congratulations to Liverpool. It's been a long time since they won. Uh, it's good to see them, you know, a team that hasn't won in a long time actually be able to raise the trophy. And that's something that, you know, it's been 30 years since the last time they were able to. They finally finished, I thought, uh, a few years ago when they had that group with uh, Luis Suarez and Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, 2014. In 2014. 2014, where they lost like the last week of the season. Yeah, I thought that team yeah. was going to do it. but it, Yeah, me too. Yeah, that, that, that was the uh, Brendan Rodgers coach. Uh, yeah, yeah, that team was great. Brendan Rodgers. <laughs> we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll get into Brendan Rodgers a little bit later. But, uh, you know, they looked... You know, Liverpool looked really good. Uh, you know, once they uh, secured the title, they kind of dropped off a little bit. But, I mean, they won. They weren't necessarily playing for anything. Of course, there was the, the quest for 100 points, and they didn't get that. And But they still won, and that's all that really matters. Yeah, I mean, I, I Liverpool does something better than any other team, which is they win the matches they're supposed to win against these lesser sides. They don't draw, they don't lose. Outside of, like, the Burnley draw, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, to give credit, like, Burnley is just an unbelievably coached team that does a lot of things that Liverpool doesn't really have a lot of counter for. So, like, if you're playing with 10 guys in a little block, like, Liverpool can use their center backs on the attack as much as they want. Obviously, the full backs, it doesn't matter. Like, it's too narrow, too many guys to fight. So... Outside of that match, though, Liverpool was, I thought, really, really, really good at what they were doing. And they're going to be around next season just because until teams kind of have an answer for their inverted wingers, mm-hmm. I, I just, I mean, in Klopp's, uh, counter, like Klopp's counter press is just, it was great when he was at uh, Dortmund, mm-hmm. and it's even better at Liverpool. Like, I, I, I don't know if you watched the Chelsea match towards the end of the season, but... I did. Yeah, I mean, I actually think the score did not effectively convey how close that match was. But until uh, Lampard brought Pulisic on, they I, Liverpool were just I, Chelsea couldn't advance the ball. Mm-hmm. There, there was no way, and 
it's not like Chelsea has a poor passing midfield. Like Kovacic is pretty good and he's a really good dribbler, but it didn't matter. They were just, I mean, that team's going to be around because they're well coached. I think they're going to rebuild a little bit. Um, they have a lot of guys, I think, that are getting older, but I think they'll be good. So, yeah, it was a great season for them. I'm really happy kind of for Liverpool fans. I, I think it was great, especially kind of during COVID and everything. This was probably really nice for them. Yeah, you know, they were so far ahead of everyone. Then there was the pause because of, you know, COVID and everything. So they're sitting there like, are we actually going to win? They're sitting there just basically waiting like, are they actually going to do it? Are they going to come back and, you know, just completely be terrible and just blow it? Are they actually going to finish this? And, you know, seeing them actually be able to pick up essentially where they left off, finish the deal, great to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, I... <clears throat> Manchester City came in second. You said you're a big fan of Manchester City's uh, performance this year. Um, I, I'm, I can't argue with that. They were they were really good, too. I mean, in <clears throat> a lot of years, they might have been a, a title-winning team. Well, I actually think the break was really good for Manchester City because, I, again, outside of the Chelsea match where Lampard probably outcoached Pep, outside of that, and they didn't have an answer for Pulisic, that outside of that, they were just dominant. Mm -hmm. And I think the break, they kind of were able to resolve a lot of things. I mean, to a certain extent, they were just getting really unlucky. Guys like Sterling and Aguero were just missing shots that they otherwise would have made like and it was random misses and it wasn't on them because they were still very prolific scores it was just in close moments they would miss these easy shots and i think eventually that stuff regresses to the mean and mm -hmm. so they're going to be good next year I'll, one thing i will say though is i'm not sure if pep has gotten old for that squad um which is the one concerning point i think i have with them that i just don't know if uh I, we'll see next season. I think it'll be really interesting because I think City will either win it or finish like fourth or fifth. Um, and the fourth or fifth world is that stuff with Pep just doesn't go over well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and City still has a really good you know group of core players still there. You know, you got Kevin De Bruyne, you got you know Sterling, Aguero, Jesus. It's they're still a really good group of players. <laughs> it's not yeah, like yeah. it's not like the the. The gap between Man City and Liverpool is as gargantuan or as large as it seems. I mean, Liverpool is good, but Man City's just as good. And I think if they were able to play at the level they were after the restart, the you know the fight for the title would have been a little bit closer. Yeah, I mean, I, I trust me, I agree. I think that again, what Liverpool did really well, which is something Man City did really well during the two years they won the title is they just beat the bad teams. And this year, City struggled with that a little bit more. But yeah. I think next year, if they beat the bad teams, you're going to have a four-way race for that title. Maybe more. But I think for sure, four teams will be vying for that title most of next year. Uh, definitely, definitely a possibility. And one of those teams is Manchester United. You said you were very impressed with them. And it was. It was good to see them play well after the restart. But... Can we discuss the quality of competition they were playing? Because they were playing right. some of the bottom-of-the-table teams. And granted, like you just said, important to beat those teams. But they're not out here, you know, beating Liverpool and, you know, beating Man City, you know, by multiple goals. I mean, they're beating relegation squats. Yeah, and Leicester. I mean, I, I think that the one or two, like, 
they did not have a difficult schedule. I agree with that. But I think also, and I think towards the end, teams started to figure them out. I think Mm -hmm. the Southampton match, the Chelsea match, I think teams figured some of their stuff out. Like the fact that while Mason Greenwood is a phenomenal scorer, A, he's probably gotten really lucky. Um, He's... He was over overperforming expected goals, which is basically measuring shot quality from the distance you're at. Mm-hmm. He was overperforming that by margins we haven't seen in years, and, and it was very similar to how Tammy Abraham for Chelsea started the year, and eventually that stuff regresses to me. So I think teams figured that out. I also think teams kind of realized that that midfield is maybe the best in the Premier League. Pogba and Bruno are just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But I think they also figured out that that midfield is going to turn the ball over a lot. And so yeah. you just press at the mid. You do basically counter pressing at the midfield, not dissimilar to what Klopp does. And mm-hmm. you kind of just dare them to be willing to turn it over. Yeah. And it's that's pretty much you pretty much summed it up perfectly right there. Um, you know, midfield's good, but they do turn it over a lot. And. You know, looking at some of the performances they got, you know, someone like you mentioned, Mason Greenwood and, you know, Anthony Martial, they looked really good after the restart. Um, you have to wonder if they can carry it over into next season and and all that stuff. Or, you know, also have to ask, was this just a product of the quality of opponent? You know? Well, and I also think, so I know they're going in for Sancho, and I, I mean, he's such a high-quality player that I get it. Mm-hmm. Part of me thinks they need a Matic replacement more. I mean, they just need somebody so they avoid the midfield turnovers. And I don't know if that's like a Declan Rice or somebody like that, but if they can find that, I think they will be significant title contenders next season. Yeah, they just they need to add. Of course, they always need to add somebody. I mean, that's just how it is. But it seems like Sancho has been their guy for quite some time now. And it, it just seems like they're just trying to will it into existence with all the talk about it. Because they talked about Sancho before um, in the last transfer window. Then it just kept getting brought up over and over again. You know, every single day my phone's blowing up with, uh, you know, Manchester United interested in Sancho. They want to do this for <laughs> Sancho. They they want to transfer for Sancho. I'm like, are they going to fucking transfer to Sancho or are they just going <laughs> to just keep talking about doing it? You know what I mean? It's just... I hope that they uh, actually do it and you know make a move because there's nothing worse than just seeing talk of a of a transfer move and it not happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I mean, welcome <laughs> to the world of the Premier League where um everybody has sources. So especially with a big club like Manchester United, they're always linked to somebody. And <clears throat> now there is yeah. one uh, concern I do have with Manchester United, and that's the performance of David De Gea. Uh, he didn't look that great uh, after the restart. I mean, to be fair, he hasn't looked great all season. I have a friend, <laughs> the goalkeeper coach, and yeah. uh, it, it kind of in the United States, but he has his own academy. He, mm-hmm. He's a pretty busy guy, and I was talking to him about this because he knows, like, he can read what's going on. He was a college goalkeeper. He played at the academy level, right? So he knows what's going on. And he said, with De Gea, what's so interesting is you know athletically the tools are still there, right? He was never just this phenomenal athlete who just lost a step the tools are still there you can see it and on a lot of plays like he's still making incredible saves Mm -hmm. and so the question is it just seems like these mental mistakes like once or twice a match you just have he has the yips Mm -hmm. and you got to figure out i don't know if it's a new goalkeeper coach i don't know what but they got to figure out what's going on i think they have to give him another season just because 
if you let him go and he finds that form again, mm-hmm. you're you will be crucified. Absolutely. And um, I, I think the best way to handle the situation is to, you know, go into next season with De Gea, but not be like looking for his replacement, but just kind of looking, just kind of observing and seeing, you know, what's out there. Or, you well, know, I mean, I think or, or maybe, or, or maybe that's exactly what I was going to say next was maybe they have their, their next guy in house already. Yeah, <laughs> I think they do. I think he's really good. I, I think they'll let him be on loan another year. Um, just as a general rule, I think it's good to get those guys playing time. Mm-hmm. Because even if you bring him back, you can't ma- you can't bench De Gea until like halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. At which point, I just don't know. If that happens, if the worth. season had to have gone off the rails. Right, exactly, exactly. And I, I mean, I ultimately still think United's offense and attack is going to be good enough that it's only going to matter so much. Yeah, it should only really, I guess, come into play when they're playing some of the you know the top four, top five teams, where you know with De Gea, unless he's just making mental mistake after mental mistake, and then right. you have an entirely different problem on your hands. Right, right. <laughs> uh, feelings about uh, Solskjaer as their manager. I am in the minority, I guess, which is weird to me, but I really like him. I think that he is a learning he has to do. I, I don't think he is is tactically advanced is definitely not as like Arteta, but also not as Lampard, at least on the attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, he's not that type of manager yet, but I think he's learning. And I think that the way he was having United play with the counter attack is what Mourinho had tried to do for three years and just couldn't get it. Mm-hmm. And Ole figured it out. And so I think that to a certain extent, I, I'm, happy with Ole. Like, I'm not really a United fan anymore, but I'm happy with Ole. I think he does a lot of really good work in terms of man motivation. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the team plays hard for him, and Pogba's back. They'll give him time, and I think they they should. I think you give him, not just next year, unless it goes completely off the rails, but I think at least two more years to kind of learn tactically evolve again teams now know how they're going to attack united mm-hmm. and united knows that and so how do you kind of evolve to match that i think is really important and i think you got to give them time you don't hire a young manager expecting them to be amazing right away yeah and going with Solskjaer as their manager compared to some of their other options their other options they were hired to like, win that title that season. I mean, they went from, you know, Ferguson to Moyes, and that was a disaster. And they went to Van Gaal. That also didn't really work that well. And then they went to Mourinho. I mean, these are all guys that you bring in, you expect that it's title contention time, we're going to win, and they fell short multiple times under all of those guys. Yeah, and I mean, the other thing is Moyes to Van Hall was a huge transition, which means Van Hall had to bring in a whole new slew of guys Right. And Van Hall basically played defense by playing possession. Mm-hmm. So he never really attacked, but they held on to the ball so long it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go to Mourinho, who's just this ultimate tactician and needs really versatile players. And so he got rid of all the Van Hall guys and had to bring in all of his own guys. Mm-hmm. And Olay came in and Olay said, right? he's like, I am going to play a certain style and I need my own guys. And I just think every time you have to move on, you hurt yourself more. And so I think you got to give Ole, I think, two more years. 
yeah, I, I think he's someone... Again, unless things go off the rails. Uh, again, yeah, off the rails, definitely the, <laughs> I guess, you know, has to be considered. But he's someone that you brought in, and it wasn't like you went to him because this is the guy that's going to lead us to the title. It's like, okay, this is the guy who can hopefully guide us out of the Mourinho era and into a new era, and hopefully the team grows with him as he grows as his uh, manager and he's learning and, you know, be able to install everything he wants to install. Yep, exactly. I agree. And again, he's going to learn. He's young. Mm-hmm. He He's managed before, but he is not, he's not the super experienced guy with, I don't think he has this clear identity he wants. I think he's much more of a, I will use the players I have to achieve what I can, mm-hmm. which is good. I mean, I think that's what Ferguson was. I actually think in prime Mourinho years, that's what he was. I think that works really well. You just got to keep the players motivated. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Pogba situation had to be handled so delicately. And he did that. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy and very satisfied with the way they handled the Pogba situation. Because that looked like it was going down, or at least going, getting towards the point of no return when Mourinho was still in town. Because those two did not, uh, <laughs> I guess, get together or, you know... Uh, have good chemistry between the two. They did not seem to like each other all that much. Um, one last thing on United, and then we'll move on to talking about Chelsea. Uh, the one thing that they have to do next season and in the future is stop drawing games. 12 draws, that is the most out of the top six. Um, those draws need to become wins if they're going to yeah, actually and, compete. I mean, I think that... Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that. I think overall... Part of the problem United had, especially early on in the season, is they just could not get consistent goal scoring. Mm -hmm. And then you would have De Gea making a mistake or two, and you would end up with the draw. Um, I think that now my my hope is for them, right? I, I mean, my hope for them is that what we saw the second half of the year is more closer or is closer to reality than the first half. But I don't know. I mean, that's why that is why a guy like Sancho makes sense, right? Yeah. Because you probably put Sancho on the right side, uh, same formation, and it just gives you another goal score. It reduces your variance, right, in win probability. Soccer is such a random sport. Mm-hmm. It really is. Uh, and on to the uh, club that finished in fourth place, Chelsea. Um, Chelsea looked like they... Uh, <laughs> probably could have finished ahead of United, uh, but they are in fourth on the table. Um, they have some good players, but the one issue for them has been really defense. Uh, not necessarily yeah. all that great on that aspect. Um, yeah, looking at they're not uh, most goals in the top ten allowed of, yep. of clubs this past season, and not necessarily great when you're. I mean, no offense to Burnley or Sheffield United, but if you're allowing more goals than those clubs and you're supposed to be a t- and you're a top four club, that's a big problem. Well, I mean, I'll say with Burnley and Sheffield United, they do play very defensively. Kind of like a big part of their strategy is prevent the other team from scoring goals and hopefully you get a counterattack or two that you convert. Um, but Chelsea is, I mean, defense is the big problem, right? And I personally believe that Defensive players are substantially undervalued in the, especially in England, but kind of all throughout Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and you see that with money, some of these guys get that where you have a striker that's getting paid so much more 
And in reality, the defensive player is involved in many more possessions than the striker is. Yes. So, for example, I think fullback may actually be the most – or fullback or wingback, mm-hmm. right? Whatever your team plays with is arguably the most important position in the sport. Yeah, I but mean – it, it, Because they do up, attack uh, and defense. I brought up uh, that old Liverpool team with Sturridge. I mean, mm-hmm. Sturridge would get like one, two, three touches a game, but the, you know, the defensive guys are the ones touching the ball all the time. Right. I mean, look at this Liverpool team, right? I mean, Trent Alexander-Arnold is – and Robertson. Like, these guys are both attacking and defending players. Mm-hmm. And that's so important because it lets you invert your wingers. It lets you overload the box. And, and on top of that, then they track the other team's wingers. So, I, I mean, I just really, really think that the, that position. So if I were Chelsea, my number one target is Ben Chilwell. And if Leicester want the same thing they got from Maguire, well, I think it's probably a little bit of an overpay. I think you got to do it. <laughs> I, 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 but I think you got to do it because Chilwell is still, I think, 24. Mm-hmm. And he's a really good defender. He's kind of, uh, he's also a pretty good attacking player. I really think you have him and Reese James in a back four. Then your wings are more, your, your fullbacks or wingbacks are more or less covered. Yeah. To me, that is number one because I don't think number two goalkeeper. I don't know how many great goalkeepers are actually on the market. They just got to get somebody. Kappa is the worst goalkeeper I've seen <laughs> in however long I've watched the Premier League. I, I've, I actually. I mean, when Caballero looks like, uh, literally looks like prime De Gea, because your starting keeper is just that bad, then you have a problem. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I think that's a big problem. I don't know that it's worth an overpay. A guy like Jan Oblak is supposed to be on the market, and he's definitely performed a little bit worse this year. But that would be a really good. I would be willing to pay for that um what, what's so concerning to me is this focus on kai havertz like kai havertz is really good for the team he plays on like really 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 good it is unclear to me how good he will be on a top six premier league side it is unclear to me how much of a role he will have when you have Kristen pulisic timo Werner, and hakeem ziach all in attack plus Giroud coming off the bench. Like, I, I just, I don't know how much Kai Havertz helps you as a between, compared to a fullback or a keeper, or a fullback and a keeper, which I think you get both for what they're about to pay for Kai Havertz. Mm-hmm. So they, they got to get, they have, I agree that midfield needs some work. Mm-hmm. But I, I just am, I don't know. I'm kind of, I don't really understand what they're trying to do. I, I think the Werner and ZH signings were great, like mm-hmm. great, great, because they add so much and just consistency in the attack. But I have no idea what they're doing now. Like, I, again, Kai Havertz, if you had a functioning defense, is a great signing. But they need at least three starters in that back four. Yeah. You know, maybe if they could find uh, an upgrade at goalkeeper, go look and see if you can find one. You don't need to break the bank for one. I, I mean, literally any. I, you or I arguably would be a <laughs> goalkeeper. So I, I, I'm not worried. They will find somebody. I'm convinced they will sign a keeper. 
we will see if it's a long-term keeper or not. That I don't know. But I mean, they can they always sign. just go season to season until they find the guy. Yeah, um, and I think that may be what they do. And, you know, maybe focus a little bit more on maybe upgrading their, you know, def- you know, <clears throat> their back four, you know, upgrading their defense, maybe find another complimentary player to go along with, uh, you know, uh, Pulisic. But uh, let's talk about him. What yeah. an acquisition for Chelsea. Getting him uh, from the Bundesliga, from uh, Borussia Dortmund, and having him come over to Chelsea. And he has yeah. lit the league on fire. Yeah, so admittedly, I am an American that became a Chelsea fan this summer. But, however, and this is what's tough because everybody's like, oh, you did it because of Pulisic. That's not true. Just bad timing on your part. (laughs) I I was in uh, London for work. I was doing research at the archives with a friend who's also a really big soccer fan. And we were going to go see our first, like, in-person Premier League match. And we ended up seeing Chelsea Leicester. And at that point, I kind of was like, I've been a Manchester United fan. Like, I followed them really closely. But I've never felt like I've had a hometown team mm-hmm. like I do with Cleveland sports. Yeah. And this kind of changed that for me, right? So Chelsea kind of became my quote-unquote hometown team. Pulisic, I mean, what people don't realize is they're like, oh, he was amazing after the break. And that's true. He's been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He also was pretty good before the break. He just had injury problems. Yeah. Um, but, but he is – in terms of wingers that are so direct, that they're – I mean, he's not just an inverted winger. He's almost like a forward, mm-hmm. like, like an inside forward. Like he will flip a lot with the other attacking players, especially if it's Tammy Abraham and it's striker. Y- y- I mean, you'll see him and Pulisic overlap with each other, switch positions. And I, I think that everybody was saying before the season, he's not Eden Hazard. And everybody is still saying he's not Eden Hazard because he's not Eden Hazard. He's a very different player. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, he had just... I, without him, I don't think Chelsea finish in a Europa League spot. Yeah. Like, I, I think they would have tanked. <laughs> I don't think they would have been good. I mean, you know, if, if people's main criticism of Pulisic is that he's not Eden Hazard, uh, geez, sorry he's not one of the best players the team's had in a long time. Um, I mean, Eden Hazard <laughs> may be a top five, or at least last season he was a top five player in the world. Yeah. So, Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, it's just like comparing, you know, just average NBA player to LeBron James. Well, he's not LeBron James. Well, no shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, right. Exactly. you know, if he's still, you know, a good productive player, and that's what he was, and he's still a young guy. He's got a lot of time to, you know, even grow and develop his game and even get better. And, you know, as oh, yeah. other teams in the league need to be, you know, concerned with, how good he is going to become because he's and one thing about Pulisic too, uh, to add to what you're saying, he also is a really good track. He tracks back really well. Mm-hmm. Like he gives it, he hustles. And so I think he's very unique, right? Is a winger kind of your point. Like, I don't know that we have anything like him in the premier league. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we'll, we'll see how he, you know, continues to grow. I mean, he's not, the usual Premier League type player. He's a little bit of a uh, uh, unique <laughs> uh, yeah. skill set that he's using, and it's actually he's actually using it to uh, you know great productivity and great team success. You know, in addition to personal success. Um, so, really quickly, how bad do you think the U.S. men's national team screws up having Christian Pulisic on the squad for 
10 years or 15 years because you know they're <laughs> going to screw it up somehow. So so what what's your theory? I mean, I, I was thinking, like, maybe they play him at defensive midfield. Oh, you, you mean they're just going to have him play striker? <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, I, he would still probably be better than any striker option they have. But <laughs> with that said, like, I, I just, I, you know they're going to screw it up. They're, they're going to find do some way. They're going to do something like, stupid. He, Chris, I think Kristen Pulisic very likely becomes a at some point in the next few seasons, a top 10 player in the premier league, if he's not already. Yeah. Um, and you know, the U S it'll be the best player. The U S men's national team has ever had. Mm-hmm. And they're going to screw it up. Yeah. They're, they'll, they'll botch this somehow. Yep. They'll, they'll play him out of position or with guys that, uh, don't know how to play with him, which is, I mean, mm-hmm. that's pretty much the entire United States men's national team's problem. Uh, yep. they don't want to play with each other. Um, a lot of them have a, a tenuous grasp on, you know, the world style of, of play anyways. Um, but yep. with somebody that is as good as him, you need a certain caliber of player to play along with them to be productive. And what they'll probably do is, well, this is the best way we can set up all these other guys. So we're just going to stick uh, Pulisic at left wing back. And... Yeah, they're going to do something <laughs> weird like that. Like he's going to, because that's, uh, first off, Whenever anything gets bad for the U.S. men's national team, they hire Bruce Arena. So <laughs> I feel like we're getting uh, close to the Bruce Arena phase again. And Bruce Arena is like, he's basically Louis Van Hall, just a really bad version of it. Like he doesn't, he's not a direct attacker. He just likes to hold the ball, which is literally the worst possible style for Kristen Pulisic. Like worst. Like Pulisic is just super direct. And so you're just going to make him pass the ball back and forth? Like, it'll be something like that. Yeah, I, I really feel that <laughs> Bruce Arena's coming around for a, for a third tenure uh, as running the team. And uh, they weren't necessarily good under any other time he's he's ran anything uh, when they've been doing anything. But like you said, uh, they need to be more uh, of an attacking squad with him. And I don't know if anyone else on that... And then and the team can play like that. I mean, That's you can even you you. I mean, you could just do counterattack, right? Like, and have Pulisic sit back a little bit to lead the counterattack. That's fine. That would work great. Yeah. And it would work at the national level too, right? You play with a deep low block, narrow low block, and you just go for counterattacks. And when you do, you get the ball to Pulisic and let him run. Yeah. They won't do that. No, but they, I think they that, won't. That to me would be the most optimal solution. Yeah, uh, they'll they'll screw it up somehow, and we'll re- we'll revisit this conversation a couple years from now. Uh, yes, and we'll be like, oh, so that's how they fucked this up. <laughs> 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 oh, that's the way they decided to do it. <laughs> oh, jeez, whose idea was it to put Pulisic a goal? Whose dumb idea was that? <laughs> yeah, the, the, you know, somebody will be like, we actually think he's a sweeper keeper now. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, we, jeez, well, it'll be one of these things we've mentioned here, and we'll come back yep. uh, two years from now. I'll pull the audio from this, and I'll be like, "Wow, I can't <laughs> believe it was that." <laughs> <laughs> it's true, <laughs> and you know, with the way that the U.S. men's national team plays, it'll probably be sweeper keeper. <laughs> uh, it will. I'm just wait. Just wait. It'll be something. 
Yeah. And now we, uh, moving on to the next team. Mm -hmm. Uh, We brought them up earlier with uh, Liverpool's uh, last chance to, at least what I thought was their last chance to win a title under the infamous Brendan Rodgers. And we are now talking about Leicester City, who was managed by Brendan Rodgers and managed to finish outside the top four. Yeah, so (laughs) two points. One, I think Brendan Rodgers is actually still a really good manager. I think where Brendan Rodgers had difficulty this season is injuries. Like, you lose your second-best attacker. uh, They lost a defender. Like, they lost a lot of guys. And then right before the season started, they had sold McGuire. So I Mm -hmm. think finishing fifth was still really an impressive job. Mm -hmm. The problem they're going to have is, like, I know Madison signed another, like, I think a one-year deal. But mm-hmm. Madison's going to leave at some point, mm-hmm. and Vardy's getting older, and Chilwell very likely, it, I I hope, is a Chelsea player next season. <laughs> I, they're going to, they do really good business. I have no doubt that they eventually will be back to this level. But I think next season and maybe the year after that could be pretty rough, like lower half of the table to slightly upper half of the table, so anywhere from like eight to fourteen type finishes. Mm-hmm. But. And the way I look at Brendan Rodgers is Brendan Rodgers is he's fine, he's fine. If, if you have if you have a team loaded with talent and he doesn't have to be trying to be the world's greatest tactician and put all put in all this stuff in there and just the team basically runs itself, he's fine. But if he's someone who is involving himself, I think that's when you see trip ups and you see the teams she- maybe not live up to the expectations of maybe what they had. I mean, I think a lot of people picked Lester to finish in the top four. And even as the season continued, it's like, is Lester going to be able to hold on? Or are they going to slip out? And they've obviously slipped out as they finish in fifth. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that. I, I also think that. So I actually have a slightly different take on Brendan Rogers. I okay. think he's a tactical genius. I, I think like he is super innovative and he does, and he's really flexible Right. So he doesn't mm-hmm. appreciate possession for possession's sake. He very much is like, how best do we use the possession we have? Um, I think that, again, he was given a really hard hand. I think where Brendan Rogers struggles is when the team starts playing really well and other teams start adjusting. I think he starts struggling. And I think for Lester, the worst thing to happen was the COVID break. Because mm-hmm. without that, I don't think Chelsea performed well enough to get top four. I'm not entirely sure Manchester United perform well enough to get top four. Mm-hmm. And I think Leicester, even with the injuries, kind of just walk in to third or fourth. That's, and then that's that very didn't possible. happen. And then teams had time and they scouted him out and they figured it out. I mean, don't forget, they still only missed fourth by a match. Like, if that match against United is a tie or is a not a draw, um, if they win it, yeah. they're in they're yeah. in it. Right? Like it was it wasn't this like giant gap from fourth to fifth. No, it's they not. collapsed a little bit. They were hurt. They had a giant break. I, again, the problem for Leicester is you would Leicester needed Champions League. Um, Europa League's better than nothing, but they needed Champions League money to keep Chilwell and or Madison, and they didn't get it. And so they'll probably keep Madison around because the injury. But I think Chilwell's gone. I mean, even if it's yeah. not Chelsea, I think he's going somewhere. Yeah, and I guess let me be a little bit more clear about Rodgers. It's not that he's not able to. It's the implementation of 
trying to use sure. tactics. And he ends up getting in his own way and essentially sabotaging himself is what I'm trying to get at. Not necessarily that he's not able, he's not this big genius. It's that when it comes time to actually implement things and, you know, having to adjust to adjustments, he just, it's, yeah. <laughs> he just well, kind well, of falls apart. Yeah, yeah, and I think the adjustments point is really the key point that we're probably going to agree on that I, I think long-term adjustments i'm not as worried about in-game but long-term adjustments i think he really is that's kind of where he struggles most yeah absolutely agree uh do you think jamie vardy stays at lester yeah nobody's gonna pay jamie vardy but lester is willing to pay jamie vardy <laughs> he, he jamie vardy is a he will be a lester player for his entire career i think it's very likely he becomes a coach or involved in the technical side of Lester after he retires he Jamie Vardy's a really 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 good scorer mm-hmm. I don't think his talent works that well in a lot of teams and I actually think Lester feels some sort of obligation to play to Jamie Vardy mm-hmm. more than other teams would so I, I don't see Jamie Vardy going anywhere I think he'll be there the remainder of his career however long it lasts and one other player do you, do you think somebody buys him uh, I mean, you can never, you know, discount someone being stupid and just looking for an attacking player and th- remembering Jamie Vardy four years ago and not realizing who he is now. Um, but I'm probably with you that you know, probably ninety percent he stays there, um, unless you know, again, unless someone just like, oh look, Jamie Vardy's available or, right, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. One other player, Casper Schmeichel, does he stay there? Again, I, I think Schmeichel is so. I actually, I don't know that Schmeichel's ever been a dominant keeper. I think he's good, and mm-hmm. I think he's always been good. I think he is just as good, maybe slightly worse, but not better than he was four years ago. He's the same guy. Yeah. Um. He he is, and I don't know any of the big clubs that. So I guess there's a situation where like if Jan Oblak goes from Atletico, mm-hmm. he's a guy like a type of keeper they may look at. But I think they probably would just get somebody from Spain. Yeah. And I don't know any, I can't think of any other really kind of good Premier League teams with money that need a keeper that specializes in counterattacking play. I I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. So again, I think he's just, he's, and this is, Leicester has kind of their two cornerstone pieces, Mm -hmm. right? Vardy and Schmeichel, and that's because they can afford Vardy and Schmeichel on fair fair deals, and nobody else wants them. Um, the, <laughs> that last because part it's is just, very important. <laughs> but it's not that they're not good, right? That's not why yeah. nobody else wants them. It's just that their salaries and what they're going to demand are in this weird spot where they're much more valuable to Leicester than they are to anybody else. Um, but I think guys like Chilwell, I mean, that Leicester team that won it all, like, don't forget, they had arguably the two best players in the Premier League in Riyad Mahrez and Conte. Um, Riyad Mahrez, I think, very much has a claim to being the best Premier League player right now. Uh, Conte definitely has had injury problems, but he's still really, really, really good. Um, and that last, I mean, they lost both of those guys. And then Danny Drinkwater, who just completely collapsed, but was really good for them that season. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think that Lester knows that they are getting closer to doing a kind of slow rebuild or fast rebuild, depending. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that starts this summer. 
they may be good next year because if all they lose is Chilwell, they probably can manage. But I think Vardy will be another year older. They'll eventually lose Madison, and then I think it'll be a little bit of a rebuild. Yeah, it's they'll just... stay in the Premier League. They're oh. too good, and they have too much money from all this success. But yeah, I think uh, they just have to be very careful about navigating this, like realizing where they are is not necessarily at where they are now. You know, compared to where they were. I mean, guys like Schmeichel, guys like Vardy, while still product productive players. They're playing for a club that top four is essentially the peak of what they're going to do, and it's even questionable if they even get to that level next year, if you know what I mean. Right. Well, and I think what Leicester did in when they won it all is was super unique. I mean, Liverpool had kind of a data team, but nothing like Leicester. Like, Leicester's global network was just so kind of a changing of the guard to anything the Premier League had seen. And they were just so many steps ahead of every other Premier League team, not just with data analytics, although that was part of it, but with scouting. Like, it was a very kind of 21st century program. Mm -hmm. They win the league. Liverpool expands its program to be like that. Arsenal has kind of always had one, but they put even more money into it. Uh, Wolves came in who do that. And it looks like... Brentford has a very good shot at winning on Tuesday and clinching the final spot from the championship. And Brentford's entire MO is they have the smartest data analytics people in the world, not just for soccer, but like pure data analytics people that have figured out how to measure certain things. And their coach is super willing to embrace it. And I mean, they're going to come eventually Leicester's kind of competitive advantage is just going to go away and they need to be able to adapt to that. And I don't know how well they will be able to do we'll see i don't know i'm glad you brought up brentford because they're a team that was that's been working their way up the uh working their way up through the leagues Uh, i'd like to see uh brentford uh make it up to the premier league (laughs) i'd like to see them do it i mean because they were at the bottom not that long ago yep they were in league two i think um there i mean it's that story is really cool I don't know. So Brentford's problem is going to be, I don't know that there's anybody on that squad that will be a good Premier League player. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how much you follow them. They have a few guys that are pretty solid that may very well be solid starters in the Premier League. But, I mean, I I, want, I worry they will have the same problem as Norwich, which is you, you just didn't have enough talent. Um, mm-hmm. Where I think Brentford has a better shot is that they are so innovative from a roster building standpoint and a play standpoint, whereas Norwich are very static. Like Norwich had one way they wanted to play, and God help them, they will not play any other way. And <laughs> that's not Brentford. Um, so I think they'd do better than Norwich. Fulham is also really interesting. I mean, they just got relegated, but and he's not playing tomorrow. But uh, Mitrovic is a definite Premier League quality striker, like mm-hmm. definite, definite. Um, he could play as kind of a target man. He could play as an attacking forward. I mean, he is really good. And they have a few other guys that are pretty good. Um, uh, Cabano on that team, Kamara. Like, they have a few guys. But Brentford, I just... When you watch Brentford play, there's something really attractive about it. Like, it never feels like they are a step behind the opponent. Ever. Mm-hmm. So, point being, I, I think... Lester's advantage is just kind of I, I, I don't know where it's at 
like I, I it's not the same advantage anymore. So they have to be even smarter. And we don't know how they're doing with that yet. I, I think eventually Rogers will end up getting fired. They will probably hire some young, really tactically innovative manager. But I think for now he's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's just about they're, they're, they essentially have to thread the needle between talent, age, and innovation. And I don't know. You know if, who it would? Go it ahead. wouldn't surprise me if they sign next season. Eddie Howe. Hmm. Yeah. Young, innovative, really good at what he does. Kind of fits with what Lester tries to do, which is generally counterattacking, but with some tactical flexibility. I th- I think personally, he's the guy, especially now that he and Bournemouth departed ways. Well, yeah, Bournemouth being you know another one of those relegation teams um but yeah that wouldn't be a bad bad signing i mean i i I feel like uh they're trying to get the most out of rogers while they can and when (laughs) the wheels fall off uh rogers go along with them um yep uh you brought them up uh wolves very yeah (laughs) I'm happy for their success because they were a team that was down for a while after barely even being a, in the, you know, avoiding relegation, uh, <clears throat> you know, at the beginning of the last decade. Yeah, they went down and they were down for a while, but they're back and they seem to be somewhat steady, somewhat yep. a little bit, you know, a little bit more encouraging than their, you know, the last time they were in the Premier League, which is almost 10 years ago. <laughs> Yeah. The one thing about Wolves, and I feel this way about Sheffield United too, and we saw this a few years ago, we see this about every three to five years in the Premier League, Mm -hmm. where three at the back becomes the super popular style. Mm -hmm. And we see it again every three to five years, and usually there will be one year where they just dominate Mm -hmm. everybody. Right? And I think that was this season. By the end of the season, you had United sometimes using three at the back, Chelsea sometimes using three at the back, Wolves always using it. Sheffield always using it. Arsenal very frequently using it. And they, these were successful. Uh, Marino used it once or twice. Like it was really successful. And the, eventually teams figured out, right? Which is mm-hmm. that three at the back is a super versatile, whether you do a 3 4 3 or a 3 5 2. It's super versatile because if you need to defend a lot, it can easily become five at the back. Mm-hmm. And if you want to attack, you can just push the two wingbacks forward. So it's super versatile. Um, And for teams that probably struggle with defending on the wing a little bit more, it's really useful. But eventually, like, teams just figure it out, right? Whether it is figuring out a way to break down blocks or kind of what we saw Arsenal do to Chelsea, which is just long balls down the side. Mm -hmm. And I think that's going to happen. And that's my worry for Wolves is that, Wolves are going to need to be tactically flexible enough to switch to back four. Otherwise, I think they'll not get relegated, but I think they will not be nearly as good. Same with Sheffield United. Yeah, they 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 could possibly head back towards the bottom of the table as soon as you know next season. I hope they don't. They're they're a fun story. They're a fun club, uh, only because you look at them, you you consider you know the traditional power clubs in the Premier League. They're not one of them, and right. it, it's it's fun to see teams like that and. 
have some sort of level of success. You know, it's not, you know, top four, it's not Champions League play, but it's upper part of the table. And that's... Yeah. And for... Yeah, so, I, I mean, you ask the average... I mean, I want to say soccer fan, but even soccer fan, your average person, um, which, you know, who name Premier League teams, and <laughs> chances are they won't say Wolves. Yeah, I mean, it depends where you are. I think in England, Wolves are a much bigger deal than in the United States. Outside but, of England. Um, <laughs> right, right. Outside of England, I think it's kind of like, it, it's just one of those, like, random teams that you probably know are in England, but you don't know much about. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they were good this year. And I think they have a lot of talent on that squad, and it doesn't look like it's going to get poached, which means I think they'll be good again next season. But they're a team that I just worry about long term but so do they right i mean when you're a squad like that you know your time in the premier league is limited mm-hmm. and so you just have a good time and you play well for as many years as you can and then when you get relegated you figure it out from there yeah and you know i relegation for them seems inevitable in the, probably within the next five years or so but let's let's enjoy the time for wolves while they're here um, yep. One other club that I would like to touch on towards the top part of the table is Arsenal. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you're not big fans of Arsenal right now, uh, <laughs> considering uh, <clears throat> FA Cup and how all that uh, sorted out. But there's one player I want to touch on, that's David Louise. What is his deal? Is he, well, David is Luiz he, was amazing in the FA Cup. Is he, is like, he good? Is he bad? What is he? Is, he seems, David Luiz. <laughs> he seems to be the most hot and cold player that I can remember in, in recent memory. Uh, I, he's just awkward, and the awkwardness for big physical guys is a problem, right? So Giroud is always struggling against David Luiz, like mm-hmm. always. Um but I think some of the more kind of faster, more kind of attacking forward than target man type strikers feast on him. Like, absolutely feast on him. But he's fine. I mean, Arteta's really good. I, like, Arteta is really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And that team, I don't know how they get much better because they have a lot of kind of older talent. Not necessarily a ton of room to sign players, although maybe maybe they do. And just say I think they're in trouble, but Arteta's a guy you keep for however long. You gotta keep Arteta. Yeah, uh and to your point, they do have some players that are a little bit on the older side. Uh with uh, you know, Obama Yang and, you know, La Cazette. They're a little they're not necessarily the youngest guys in the world, you know. And you're talking also about, you know, David Louise, who seems to just, mm-hmm. he's 33 now. Uh, but it seems like their, their trajectory in, in the Premier League is not going in the direction they probably want. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, part of me thinks Arteta is just such a good manager that give him the next month to kind of figure things out, maybe sign a few of his own guys. And I think Arsenal could be really good next year, especially if they can keep Obama Yang, which is looking more and more shaky as the 
hours mm-hmm. go by. But um, I think Kibo Bamiyang, Pepe is pretty good. Um, I think he has a lot of room to grow. Their midfield has been really good this season, especially since the break. Like Granite Chaka, I did not realize was still such a good player, but I didn't realize he was ever really that good of a player. But he's a good player all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, that midfield's really good. And so, and they're, again, tactically innovative. I, I don't think they're a top four team next season, but I could, they're definitely, I could see between fifth and eighth. Now, are but they. But then you're, then you run into problems after that. Yeah. Uh, so essentially standing where they are now is where you essentially see them. Maybe a little bit of improvement. Um, yep. How does uh, you think uh, Ozil fits in with their future? Does he have a future there? I mean, I think they'll keep Ozil as long as, uh, as long as he's willing to stay there. I, I don't. I, what are you going to sell him for? I don't know. I guess isn't he a? I think he's available, right? Is he still part of the team after this season? Is his contract up? I will have to look that up right. Yeah, now. I don't actually remember. I don't remember, but um. I'll look it up he's right a, now. Yeah, he's... I don't think he really matters either way. Until 2021. Yeah, so, okay, he's got another season. I don't think he matters either way. I think that ultimately they're just going to... They'll figure it out. They'll. I think that when they probably brought in Arteta, the idea was, listen, I need a Klopp deal. I need the same time Jurgen Klopp got because it's the same type of rebuild. We're going to have to tear this down to build it back up. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of where they're at, um, but they're they do have enough of a, a a reputation, you know, something to build off of. Just you know who they are that they might be able to attract some players that maybe other clubs aren't able to. Right. Oh, absolutely. The Arsenal's got. I mean, they're. It looks very likely they're going to sign Willian, and I know Willian is not the Willian of old, but he's still a pretty good wing player. I think. It gives them options if Lacazette leaves or just leaves with Pepe. And they'll get guys like that, like some of these, maybe not old players, but end of prime slash after prime players. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they'll get that and they just need to figure out a way to get a few of these young studs. And they'll be fine. Arteta wants that club to play like City. It's going to take a couple years to get to there. Yep, exactly. It's going to take a couple years. And I I think uh, Arsenal's in a position where they can can afford to do that. I mean, they're not a top four club. They're not looking to challenge for really Champions League play at this time or even a a Premier League title. So might as well, you know, embrace what Arteta is trying to bring to the club and, you know, how he wants to shape it because they'll, they'll be better off in the long run. Yep, I agree. I completely agree with that. And uh, let's talk about the bottom four teams, you know. Okay. <laughs> the bottom four teams. There was a four-way race to, um, really a three-way race, because Norwich City was <laughs> relegated so early between uh, Watford, Bournemouth, and uh, Aston Villa. Yep. Um, was there a specific team you are hoping to not get relegated, or a team so... you were hoping to get relegated between those three? My dad spent uh, basically a year in England for a gap year yeah. and was, lived right next to Watford Stadium. And okay. so he's a big Watford fan, so I was obviously rooting for Watford. But 
that team just has. <laughs> and to be fair, I don't know that firing Nigel Pearson when they did was as much of a mistake as I think a lot of people thought. And as I thought initially, the more I've read, the more it seemed like he had already told the players he was going to leave after the season and he'd gotten in fights with players. And I think the best bet they had of staying up was just getting rid of him. Yeah. Let's also not pretend they're that good after the break. They beat two really bad teams and that's about it. Yeah. So I, I don't have a problem with that. I think the problem Watford's going to have is they're going to lose like all that old talent, like Caput, Decore, um, Troy Deeney, like the, all those guys are gone. Mm-hmm. And then you have to hire a new manager. So I think for Watford, it's going to get worse, much worse before it gets better. And th- that would have been the same if they stayed in the Premier League. So that didn't really bother me as much, although I was rooting for them. Um, I think Villa probably was the best team. But in terms of long term, after Villa loses Grealish, I don't know if they'll be any good next season. I do think Bournemouth, had they stayed and kept Eddie Howe, would have been good next season. Mm-hmm. So it was probably pulling for Bournemouth from just like an enjoyment standpoint more than yeah. anything. But how about you? Uh, I was pulling for Bournemouth only because um, they were the team that happened to be on the most when I was available to watch the Premier League restart. I ended up watching like four or five Bournemouth games, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, you can do it. You can beat, <laughs> you can avoid yeah. relegation. You can do it. But it was just like, you know, cheering for, you know, watching a, sip, a ship sink and cheering for it not to sink. Um, right. You know, type of thing. Uh, as ridiculous as this sound, I wanted Villa to go down so badly. Um, and it's not even fair to the current version or current ownership of the club, but it's only because... Randy Lerner. Randy Lerner. Fuck Randy Lerner, okay? (laughs) (laughs) They hate him too. But, so I guess we, you know, people that are fans of Villa have that in common. But just his complete absentee ownership when he owned the Browns and his infatuation with Villa, which he uh, somehow flushed down the toilet faster and much worse than the Browns. um, (laughs) It's just, fuck them. Yeah, I mean, I actually like Villa the club. I think they do some cool things, but I, I just is there anybody I, that squad after Jack Grealish is not good. No, it's it's basically like it's, it's basically not. Grealish and and that's it. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I don't. I mean, they they were definitely better than Watford and than Norwich. Who I mean. Can we just talk about Norwich for a second? I know this is your yeah. podcast. No, let's do it. Let's talk about whatever. I what? What were they trying to do? I mean, Norwich goes <laughs> up, right? And it's like, okay, we understand you played this really attacking style in the championship because you just had better players. Why would you think, especially after your last run, that that's the way to win in the Premier League? Uh, you don't have the players to do that. And you're going to get pressed just to death. And every, I mean, it just felt like they had the talent to play counterattacks, right? They could have set a lower defensive block and just held. And I know that because we actually saw that against Chelsea, where towards the end, of, very end of the season after they had gotten relegated and they kind of were just in the effort mode, they played a low block and they didn't try to attack. And they weren't good and Chelsea kind of just checked out but still won but i i mean 
they were better than they or they looked better than they did when they tried to play this heavy possession style like I, what are, I, I don't know what they do I, like I don't know if you're going to keep the same guys around more or less obviously sell a few but if same squad's round you you probably stand a decent chance of getting promoted again next year mm-hmm. and are you going to do the same thing again like well, well hopefully they they learn from their mistake this year i think what this is it's a case of they had like you said they had better players and you know better just probably athletes than some of the other teams that are playing so they had the ability to play that style but when it comes time to play with the big boys uh can't do it anymore um i mean you yeah to make a college football reference it's like that one team that always just plays this really exciting high scoring style but they play they're like a it's like uh what's it called uh, the one that team that's claiming the fraudulent national championship. It's like them, but if they played a real team, like, let's say, in Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, what have you, they would get the doors blown off of them. Right. And, I mean, I'm not saying that every team that gets promoted needs to come in and say, okay, we're never attacking again. Like, I think there's a healthy mix, and I think the teams that find that healthy mix tend to stay in for a while. But, like... I actually the the three teams I thought were worse this season were Crystal Palace, Newcastle, and Norwich. Personally, I think Watford, Villa, and Bournemouth were all better than the other two teams, or than all three of those teams. But alas, you can't you can't. There's not much you can do, right? And but I just I Norwich didn't have to be this bad. It was an it was a choice, right? And mm-hmm. I get if you want to come in and try it. I think that makes sense, right? So, like, for example, if Fulham gets promoted or uh, Leeds United, who's already promoted, if those teams want to come in and try the same thing they've done this season, I think that's smart. Mm-hmm. Like, more power to them on that one. Yeah. But if it's not working, you got to change. Like, there, there needs to be a option in place that lets you change very quickly, lets you pivot quickly. And Norwich just didn't have that. No, they didn't. Uh, the football team I was thinking of was UCF, by the way. UCF, okay, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah I don't watch college football, but I, I have a general understanding of where you were going with that analogy, yeah. and I think it makes sense. Yeah, uh, UCF for, you know, almost 20 years old now, Boise State back in the mid-2000s. Yes, one of those Boise State, that is a great example. And That's a I mean, once I mean they yeah, they beat Oregon once, cool. I mean, every once in a while, a, a team playing some absurd style with you know lower level players will get a win. But let's be real here: if they were to play, as we saw with Norwich, if they're playing an entire season against superior talent, you find out it's not actually going to work. Right, right, I, exactly. And uh, yep. you mentioned them just a second ago. Leeds United back in the Premier League after. Forever, not yeah. being in it. Yep. I think it was 16 years, I think, they were down. Yep. It's been a while. And they are weird. Like, they are weird. They, I mean, they almost run a 3-6-1 with just this giant... And it's not really. It's like a 3-2-3-1-1. Three, three, one, one. It's this weird shape, though. And they play... I mean, Bielsa has a style. And he's playing that style, hell or high water, which scares me 
And I wonder if you end up in a Norwich situation. But I think generally he's a better manager, and I think their talent's probably better. So I think they'll be they'll be really fun. I don't know that they'll be good, but they'll be really fun. I am so ready for them to be back. I mean, because it's, it's just, it's a, like you said, they play a weird style, and it's a team that's been gone for so long. And so now they're back, and yeah. now we, yeah. you know, they have quite the following, which I was honestly yeah. unaware of. Yeah. <laughs> of how oh, large yeah, their yeah. following was. Once they got the promotion, it, you know, they all came out of, I don't want to say they all came out of the woodwork, but they really kind of did. I'm like, they have a lot of fans that did not realize that they had this, you know, this much of uh, fan support. Oh, yeah. It's an enormous club. I, I uh, They're actually a team I think may start off really hot because I don't think anybody will be prepared for them. Like I, that style, I, I don't I don't know how you prepare for it. It's so unlike anything really anywhere else in the world at these top levels. And I think they may end up winning like three of the first five matches type thing. Like just people are just unprepared. Win. Yeah, what they're exactly. bringing to the table. Exactly. Um, and I and so I really kind of, but but after that, like teams will figure it out, right? Which basically is, if you're sticking so much in the midfield, mm-hmm. then there's weaknesses on both of the other areas of the pitch, right? Yeah. Uh, and the attacking and defending and. Eventually, teams will figure out how to exploit those weaknesses, and Leeds will be in trouble. But they're going to be fun. Yeah, I think that's all you can really ask of. You know, you're watching a, a club that's not necessarily your favorite. Just give me a good, entertaining match. Uh, you know, one way or the other, whether it's you know through an interesting style or one team deciding to score like ten goals. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. No, a hundred percent. I. Yeah. I. I'm excited. I. I actually like. All three of the, well, I like both Brentford and Fulham, so I'll be happy with either of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Forest, eh, or not Forest, West Brom, eh. Um, but Slavin Village, right? So, should be fun, should be something. Um, and then I'm really excited for Leeds. I, I think next year's Premier League season is going to be a blast. It's going to be really I, interesting because uh, yeah. they're not. Their next season doesn't start that far off in the future, does it? No, it's uh, I think the third week in September. So we got about a month and a half, six weeks. That's such a short period in between. Yeah, well, and it seasons. sucks for a team like Chelsea that now maybe without Pulisic for three months because it basically means you're playing the first month and a half of the season without him. Um, but I, I mean, it's basically just a continuation of this season. So I think you'll kind of see the same hot teams be hot and the same cold teams be cold. I think you'll see Leicester kind of collapse. Um, September, so September on, 12th, least, so mid-September. September 12th, yep. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm really excited. I this I can't explain it. I think it's because all three of the championship teams, again, whether it's Brentford or Fulham, are really good. I, I think there's a realistic world where not, none of those three get relegated. And so then you're talking like Villa, Newcastle, Crystal Palace, uh, a few of these other kind of smaller squads that all of a sudden are in a relegation battle. Like, you know what? It wouldn't surprise me if Everton's in a relegation battle. It wouldn't surprise like, me it either. Really, it really wouldn't. I mean, I, they're a team that just played like crap mm-hmm. even before the restart, but especially after. So 
I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to have a massive relegation battle and a massive title battle. Um, I, and like, don't forget, their teams like Tottenham. I, I don't particularly think they're going to be that great, but I also have seen Mourinho, and I don't think he's the same guy anymore. But I've seen him pull Rabbit out of his hat so many times mm-hmm. that you can't totally discount it. Like that year he won with that Chelsea team. Like people were not predicting that Chelsea team to win it all that year. They just no. weren't. Um, and so Mourinho does that. Uh, so there, it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm really looking forward to it more than I was this year. This year I was kind of, I thought all three teams that got promoted were going to get relegated and I'm glad I was wrong about that, but I, I was just not looking forward to it. So not as much as I am for next season. Yeah. I mean, cause it's just, there's a couple of wild cards that are coming in the mix, uh, you know, yeah. through relegation and, you know, the way the season finished with, you know, certain teams looking much better and certain teams looking <clears throat> much worse as the season ended. It is, it's setting up for an interesting, at least start just because of how soon it is. I mean, it's right. It's like a, a month and a, a week from now that right. it starts. So it should provide some entertaining play at the start or hopefully continued entertaining play. Um, right. I agree. I, I'm, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think the Premier League is becoming the best managed league in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, in ter- like I think the managers are really good. I think it's tactically fascinating. So, like, it's kind of like the NFL, right? Where in the NFL, you basically, there's just so much to know that coaches have generally a particular style they play, mm-hmm. right? So, you have your West Coast offense teams. Uh, and Andy Reid, no matter how versatile Andy Reid is, is still kind of, a zone blocking West coast offense. Yeah. You have your air raid guys uh, who are few and far between the NFL, but they're there like heavy passing. Mm-hmm. You have your power guy. And I think soccer is the same way. And so it's really fun to see those styles clash. Like there are very few Mourinho's and Brendan Rogers mm-hmm. of the world who are just really tactically flexible. Most of these guys have a style and I just, I, it's going to be really fun. It's going to be fun to see how teams adjust to leads. It's going to be fun to see if, Liverpool and City perform as well as they have been. It'll be fun to see how United plays against better competition. It'll be fun to see if Chelsea can win matches five to three. Like it's mm-hmm. going to be fun. So uh, fill in this question or answer this question for me. How long does Mourinho stay at Tottenham? Because as we are all aware, he basically is a three year and out and he's done. Well, I actually think Tottenham's going to give him most of that contract. I think we may see Mourinho for a fourth year this time around. Um, really? They're giving him a huge contract, and they're going to let him tear apart that squad. Because they're cheap, right? So mm-hmm. they don't want to spend money, and so or not as much money. So I think they'll really let him tear it up. I, my gut is he's there for a while. I think they will more or less perform like they did this year unless he gets just a really tactically flexible group of players in, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, that's fine. They will not be, I don't think, this dominant squad that they've been the past decade. I just think that one way. I think they had to move on from Poch when they did. But I don't know if the solution to their problems is hiring Poch again, and I think it may be. Like, he was a really good manager. He loves Tottenham. Mm-hmm. Um, Mourinho is a, also a good manager. Not sure he loves Tottenham, but that's where he's at. And 
I think that it'll work until it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, Mourinho at Tottenham was an interesting move because Mourinho is usually, uh, for better or worse, a, a title chaser. And they're not necessarily in a yeah. position to compete for a title right now. So I found that that move to be interesting. But I think he needed sort of a, a rebound after how things, I guess, <laughs> fell apart at Manchester United. Yep. Ironically, I actually thought he would have been better at Everton and Angelotti better at Tottenham, but alas, yeah. did not happen. So I, I think that would be. I, I just don't know how long he's going to be there because it's just his track record. I mean, it's it's three years and he's off somewhere else, and and yep. more often than not, he wins a title or he's at least in contention for a title or its aspirations are realistic. It's not for Tottenham, yeah. really. I, I mean. It, if Mourinho finishes next season in the top four, which I think is highly unlikely, but it's not impossible. If Tottenham finishes top four, it would not surprise me if he starts getting offers from not necessarily Premier League clubs, but from other kind of bigger clubs in other countries. Like mm-hmm. every year seems to be Diego Simeone's last year at Atletico, and they're so good every year, and he signs a new deal seemingly every year. But if they ever move on from him, I could totally see them going after Mourinho. Like, it's not a huge change from Simeone, and he gets to go back to Spain, kind of try it again. That's But it that is dependent on him doing well at Tottenham. Oh, that's very true. And uh, I guess this isn't a perfect, uh, you know, time for them, but uh, over in Italy, Juventus is having issues with their manager, and yeah. who knows Sorry, how long is going to be there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Ball is... I, I never understood the fascination with him, but Chelsea tried it for a year. It looked as how you would expect it to look, and then Juventus brought him back. Um, and meanwhile, Inter is about to fire Conte, so maybe go back I to Inter don't... just like he went back to Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I, I I have no idea what's going to happen there, but yeah, I could totally see a Serie A team trying to bring in Mourinho. That's another one, but he has to do well at Tottenham. Otherwise, yeah. he won't get another top spot. It'll yeah. be for a smaller club. He needs to, he needs to rebuild his, his value, his brand, and be like, you know what? I'm still the same person I ever was, uh, and try and distance himself from Manchester United as much as possible, um, which yeah, is I think not the necessarily the easiest I, thing to do. I, I think the five-year deal for both squads was ideal, right? So for Tottenham, it means they don't need to look for another manager who's going to want a lot of money, right? They have their guy. Mm-hmm. For Mourinho, it means he has five years to rebuild his brand, or at least three, yeah, and more than likely five. And if at any point that brand gets rebuilt, and during that period he is gone, oh yeah, like he he will leave Tottenham so fast, like two top four finishes for Tottenham the next two years, he's gone. Yep, he's gone, gone. Like yeah. he he is. It, even it, a, it, even a steady incline going from like let's say six five and even to like say four or three and gone. Right. <laughs> Right. I, I agree. I think uh, somebody is going to... There will be some other European team that swoops in and gets them. Now, to be honest, I don't think that is likely. I think very possible Tottenham is the same or worse next season than they were this year. Mm-hmm. And they debate firing Mourinho, but they decide they can't pay him for three years. And so they go another year. And then after that, they, they still perform pretty poorly. Then they fire him probably bring back Potch if he doesn't have another job somewhere else and go from there. Yeah. But I, I don't think Mourinho is the guy. Although 
it's not impossible, but I just don't think it's going to happen. No, I just, like I said, he's too high profile a guy for the job and, you know, the way that he operates, it doesn't really seem like, I just never understood the match between the two. I understandably he needs to rebound, but he's the guy you bring in. He's the, he's the closer. You bring him in to seal the deal is essentially right. this is the way I, I viewed him. I mean, you know, you look back, uh, old NBA coach Larry Brown had that same reputation as the guy yep. that you bring in to win a title with. And then once yep. you do or you fail, you let him go and you move and, on. And very, yep. Very similarly to Larry Brown is that these guys are probably the, in terms of tactics, the smartest coaches in the game, right? Mm-hmm. Like I still think to this day, Mourinho is, I mean, remember the, I think the second last match of the season against Leicester where Tottenham just like, it, it looked like Leicester had never played soccer before. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's not because Leicester was bad. It just Mourinho had a really innovative strategy that more or less forced Tottenham to have possession, mm-hmm. but to have it in their own side of the pitch. Yeah. And it was really smart. And, and so he does that. Like, he still pulls a rabbit out of his hat like that every once in a while. And if he can do that consistently, they'll win. But I think you're right. Like Larry Brown, he also, it's just, he pisses off all of his players. Like, at some point, like, everybody's angry at him. Yeah. He wears out his welcome, and you have to choose between the players and the and the manager. And it's a lot easier to just get rid of one guy than, you know, 11. A team. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I agree.